Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Benefits. I'm Julie Stick. For the past several years, the International Foundation has strategically focused on the topic of financial well-being and how employers can provide financial education to their workers. The goal being, of course, to help ensure the financial and retirement security of workers and their families. April is Financial Capability Month here in the United States. The Talking Benefits Pod Squad decided to focus this month's episode on the issue of financial well-being and give our listeners some resources they can use and make available to their employees and plan participants. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with two staffers from the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The CFPB is the U.S. governmental agency tasked with enforcing federal consumer financial laws and protecting consumers in the financial marketplace. One of their missions is to create tools, answer common questions, and provide tips that help consumers navigate their financial choices and shop for the deal that works best for them. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Laura Schlockmeyer, Senior Financial Education Content Specialist, and Sangeeta Maliandi, Financial Wellbeing Researcher. So welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, Julie. Great to be here. Yeah, great to be here as well. Thank you. Well, so first of all, can uh, one of you start by telling me what is financial well-being? We talk about it a lot, but what is it really? So Financial well-being, I mean, there's many ways that we can think about it. Here in the Bureau, we wanted to go out and think about how consumers are thinking about financial well-being and how to define it. And so um, that was sort of our first step in this financial well-being work. So we went around, listened to people around the country to learn about what financial well-being means to them. And what we learned is that financial well-being is determined often by the extent to which an individual feels that they have control over their day-to-day finances, have the capacity to absorb a financial shock, um, whether they are on track to meet their financial goals, and um, also whether they have the financial freedom to make the choices that allow them to enjoy life. And I think the last one about enjoying life is something very important in sort of this subjective definition of financial well-being that we have developed here at the CFPB. Well, that's true. Isn't that really the goal of of financial well-being for all of us, right? To to be able to enjoy what we have and what we do. So um, can you tell me what impacts financial well-being? I guess you have mentioned that there are four areas. Can you tell us about that? Sure. There are multiple factors that affect an individual's financial well-being. Um, And I think first, it's important to recognize that some are within a person's control and some are not in a person's control. Um, And so in the course of our research, we have identified 
four areas that we know influence financial well-being. This is all through very rigorous research. Um, the first is financial skill, and that's essentially how people find, process, and use relevant information. Second is financial behavior. That's just the day-to-day -day actions and decision-making one may take to secure their financial life. The third is financial situation. Um, that's just the objective facts of financial life. So it might be someone's savings amount, their credit score, material hardship they may face. Um, and then last, we have financial knowledge. So that's just their perceived financial security and the freedom of choice. Well, great. Would you tell us about your financial well-being research and share some recent examples of what you've been able to learn? Uh, we especially would really be interested in hearing what impact the pandemic has had on financial well-being. That's a really good question. Since we developed and launched the financial well-being scale, we've both at the Bureau as well as through our wider research community um, have applied the financial well-being scale um, in many different research applications. Um, so currently the CFPB financial well-being scale is administered um, in many nationally representative surveys. So some ongoing surveys where you might find data that includes the financial well-being scores of individuals. Um, we have the Federal Reserve SHED data, which is the survey of economic decision-making. Um, and that survey was designed to measure the economic well-being of U.S. households and identify potential risks to their finances. And they're using one of the versions of the CFPB financial well-being scale. And because that was most recently administered in 2021 is it's important that it's able to capture some of those differences and because it's an ongoing survey we're able to create understand trends of populations and different groups of populations um, over time including during the pandemic and before the pandemic other ongoing surveys that are nationally representative where the CFPB financial well-being scale is also used is the National Institute on Aging's Retirement and Health Survey. Um, this is a survey sponsored by the NIH and the Social Security Administration. We have it also in the FINRA's National Financial Capability Survey, um, as well as uh, a few other surveys, the USC Understanding America Survey, and the Department of Defense also uses um, the financial well-being scale. Um, we recently published a data spotlight on financial well-being in America from 2017 to 2020. Um, and primarily what we were interested um, in seeing is how financial well-being has shifted from um, before the pandemic to the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and some of the things we had learned is in that analysis is um, we see that Americans have experienced an average increase in their financial well-being um, between those years, although the average financial well-being was one point. So we saw that average well-being increased overall across all populations from 54 to 55. And it was likely boosted by the large government response to the COVID pandemic. So there was a higher amount of economic relief that were provided to families in order to address various hardships that we saw. The largest increases that were um, that we saw were experienced by those with higher incomes. Um, and we see that approximately one third of Americans saw a decline in their financial well-being. But when we looked at that one third and 
further disaggregated the specific characteristics of those populations, such as by income, education, gender, age, race, and ethnicity, we see that almost 40% of people that reported a decline in financial well-being were individuals with incomes at the lower level, so people less making less than $25,000 a year. We see people who have less education, so individuals without a bachelor's degree or higher higher percentage of the people were also women as well as Black non-Hispanic adults. So we do see that there are some disparities um, when you're looking at these differences or changes in trends in financial well-being across different population groups. Some ongoing research, both at the CFPB and the larger research community, are looking at various intersections of financial well-being and individual circumstances as well as how financial well-being may vary for different populations, as well as broader trends over time. One last thing I do want to note is we are currently in the process of funding three researchers to conduct original research using the financial well-being scale and applying it to three important topics, um, including relationship banking, immigrants, and economic mobility. And we hope to share the findings from those studies with you in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Okay, that sounds great. So you've mentioned the financial well-being scale. So for those of our listeners who aren't as familiar with that, can you explain what that is and how it works? I think it springs from the research that Sangeetha was talking about earlier into how do you how do we define financial well-being? Because as you say, a lot of people use that term without having a specific definition in mind. So once we had that definition in mind, we wanted to create a way to measure it. And it was it was quite a project because we were setting out to measure something that is subjective, right? Everybody experiences their financial well-being a little bit differently depending on um, many parts of their lives. If let's say Sangeet and I have the exact same um, income and rent and, you know, various things in our financial lives are all the same, we still might have very different senses of our financial well-being. So we wanted our scale to capture that. So this, the financial well-being scale is 10 questions that can be answered just from your own knowledge of yourself. You don't have to go look up your statements. You don't have to go look at your credit score. You don't have to look anything up. These are questions you can answer in the moment. Once you've answered the 10 questions plus a couple of scoring questions, you come up with an all-in financial well-being score on a scale of 1 to 100, but it's not really like a letter grade at your school or something. It's not like you get an A plus or something. As Sangeetha mentioned, um, the average financial well-being score in the country is 55 now. I think the, the interesting thing about the the score is that it is validated and the scale itself is validated across the entire U.S. population. So I know there are many other um, scales and metrics that are often used in the workplace um, by benefits providers and things like that. Often those are aimed at participants in a benefits plan or perhaps full-time employees or something like that. This is really reflecting the entire U.S. population, 18 and older. So I think the, the simple answer to this question, it is a series of 10 questions that you can answer off the top of your head. Okay. Well, that's that sounds easy. You mentioned you don't have to go get your bank statement or your 401k statement to be able to answer it. So 
that seems like uh, pretty easy. So tell me, how can the scale be used by employers? We've seen employers use it in in primarily two different ways, and it, it has to do a lot with the employer's benefit strategy overall. I think um, there are employers that use it as part of a self-service strategy. So the CFPB offers a version of the financial well-being scale that you and I and everyone can go and take on our own and see our score and have those questions that are on the scale start us thinking about how we might want to move forward. So of those 10 questions, if there were a couple that you're not really satisfied with the way you were able to answer them today, that scale and those questions will help you say, ah, I now see a next step that I might want to take so that I can answer that question differently next time. And so as a, as a self-service um, strategy, an employer can say, get started on your journey by taking the financial well-being scale and then finding the steps that you might like to take. That is one way we've seen employers use it. And then the other way to use it is perhaps to incorporate it into an existing survey of employees that you might already have. So if you have an annual employee satisfaction survey or benefit survey or something like that, you can incorporate the survey, the scale into that instrument so that you, the employer, can collect the data and then process that information, evaluate perhaps segments of your population that are relatively high on the well-being scale versus low and what kinds of interventions you might take on an organization-wide basis. And I, I should point out that um, because the CFPB is a federal agency, all of the underlying information behind the financial well-being scale, so all of the coding, all of the scoring, all of the data that we uh, have from our initial survey is all accessible for the public and able to be used. So we have, we have guides that would help you um, use the code to score that survey if you choose to use it yourself. Okay, I was going to ask about that. So there's a way mm-hmm. that um, employers can, if they incorporate it into their own survey, they can see how it's scored for each individual so they can kind of track what um, the, the aggregate is and take a, a holistic look at their employee population. Exactly. And the CFPB would help you do that, um, but the code and everything is public domain, so it's very, it's all accessible. Oh, interesting. Now, I know the CFPB has uh, an array of informational resources that are really geared to the individual, to the consumer. Could you highlight some that would be helpful for employees so that maybe employers can pull those together or direct their employees to uh, certain ones? At the CFPB website, so that is consumerfinance.gov, we have an array of consumer tools on that site that offer education on almost anything you can think of. I mean, we have resources from bank accounts and auto loans all the way through mortgages and student loans. So there's there's a wealth of information there that any anyone will be able to find something that's relevant to their situation. And additionally, we offer a link to order free publications. So if you're looking for printed copies, um, that's also available from consumerfinance.gov. I guess I would point to our resources that we have on like big spending decisions, these these kinds of decisions that um, people face, like auto loans and home loans. We have detailed guides on how to shop and get the best deal when you're making those decisions. We also have an entire section for parents 
on how to build your child's financial capability and their uh, and their money skills. So that whole section is a, is a favorite of mine. But Sangeetha might have different ones to contribute. I think we can have a whole podcast just on the variety of uh, information and educational resources that we have at the CFPB. I think the only thing I would add to what Laura had mentioned is in respect specifically to the financial well-being scale, um, we have an online tool where you can actually take the questionnaire and find out your score directly online on our website. And in terms of some of the materials that Laura had mentioned about navigating different financial decision making, whether it's buying a house or getting a mortgage or buying a car, a lot of those CFPB resources and information is also available in um, multiple languages. Um, Many of our tools are available in a wide array of um, languages as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you for pointing that out, because that definitely is something employers are are always looking for. Julie, I would say one other thing is that, again, because the CFPB and our role as a federal agency, all of the information that's there under our consumer tools is freely available for employers to repurpose. You can use that anytime. If you do choose to source it to the CFPB, we would be grateful, but there's no requirement to do that. Well, that's great. That is one of the great things about governmental resources that uh, you all make them available freely to anyone to use. So thank you for reminding us of that. And um, so on that note, do either of you have any closing thoughts on how employers can help their employees become more financially secure? A good question. A lot of people, um, their workplace is the place where they get the most financial information. So employers can play a big role in here. I, I would suggest having empathy for your populations and trying to understand where they're coming from because everybody experiences this differently. If there are ways that you can increase opportunities and reduce barriers for people to set aside savings, to support one another on their journeys, all of those things can be really helpful in the workplace. Yeah, I agree. And also to add, I think it's really great to see more employers are investing in programs and resources to improve all aspects of well-being for their employees. And we know that research has consistently shown that this is beneficial to both employees and employers as well. Um, And at the CFPB, we're happy to help and assist and support in those efforts. So we always encourage people to reach out to us and either share their experiences or ask questions and um, see how we can help in terms of the financial well-being, whether it's information or providing technical assistance. And we know that from our work, that finances, as Laura mentioned, can often be a key source of stress. Um, And it may be hard for families to find good information out there. Um, And so when employees are able to help, they're able to empower their employees to make informed decisions. We all know that it can be difficult to navigate financial markets and know, you know, which products and services when it comes to the financial markets that can best meet the needs of our own families. And I think as an employer, the key thing to remember is that no matter the industry sector you operate and the number of employees or where they live and what they're paid. Ultimately, um, everyone wants to feel financially secure. Um, Everybody wants to achieve their financial goals for themselves and their families and their children and grandchildren, and they deserve the chance to do so. Well, that is definitely a great way to end our conversation. Uh, The importance of this cannot be stressed enough. And um, you're right, 
When you say that uh, employees in a lot of cases really rely on their employer to help provide the financial security that they need. So thank you both very much. I, we really appreciate you both sharing your insights and, and these resources with us. Thanks for having us, Julie. This was a great conversation. Yes, thank you very much. Well, thank you both. And on behalf of my co-hosts, Justin Held and Ann Patterson, thank you all for listening. We will be back in your podcast feeds next month. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show is hosted by Justin Held, Ann Patterson, and me, Julie Stick. Produced by Stacey Van Alstein and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2023 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. 